We've been looking at Abraham and, and Sarah's life as they have made the, as they made the climb of faith, and they've made this consist, consistent, persistent climb, uh, one foot in front of the other, through times of discouragement, through times of, of, of waiting. And so we're, we're going to look at that this morning about this issue of, of what is faith and what does faith look like and, and how do you persevere uh, when, when you go through some of these difficult times of, of life or difficult circumstances. And so uh, if you'd like to turn in your Bible, your notes, or you version, uh, Genesis chapter 21 is where we're going to be this morning. And so while, while you're finding your place, let me, let me just tell you a story. Uh, most of us know about the, the, the Titanic and the, the sinking of the Titanic, right? And so uh, I always have to ask that because I never forget, when, back when I was doing youth ministry, uh, that the movie The Titanic came out. And one night with the youth group, I just made the statement about I'm so interested to see uh, the sinking of the Titanic in this movie. And this girl just goes, oh, no, I hate it when people spoil the ending of a movie for me. I, I kind of thought everybody knew. Uh, <laughs> I did not think that was new information to anyone. Obviously, it was to her. And the bad thing is she was like a senior in high school. I'm like, really? Really? So anyway. So now that we got that out of the way, so a lot of people believe that the, that the, that the reason, uh, the first reason, the reason that the Titanic sank was because it, it ran in and hit an iceberg and, and sank. And, and that, may, that may be the second reason, but for, for sure it's not the first reason. When you start studying the, the Titanic and the sinking of the Titanic, you, you, you learn an interesting fact. There was a second officer by the name of David Blair. David Blair was a second officer. Part of his responsibility was is he kept the key to the crow's nest locker in his pocket. The, the crow's nest locker, uh, when you opened it, had, had a lot of different things in it. But one of the things it had, it, it had a set of a pair of binoculars in the crow's nest locker. The man that, was, that would take position in the crow's nest, the highest point of the ship, uh, would use the binoculars so that he could see danger from... Far, from far off, from a, from a long ways off. And so David Blair had the keys to the crow's nest locker. The day before the Titanic set sail on its maiden voyage, David Blair was reassigned. David Blair mistakenly took and kept the key to the crow's nest locker in his pocket. Which meant this, that the men that would be stationed in the crow's nest would only be able to see from a human perspective from human sight. And as a result of that, what many believe is they did not see the iceberg in time to change course and to change direction. And so maybe the first reason for this catastrophe that, that cost well over 1,500 people their lives was this issue of a, of a missing key. And I think there's a missing key in the life of many believers I think the missing key is this issue of, of faith. I think the missing key in many of the lives of the believers is this issue of faith, that, that we're supposed to walk by faith and, and not by sight. We're supposed to walk from a heaven's perspective and not a human perspective. That the way that you get God's power in your relationship, in your marriage, in your circumstances, in your situation, is by walking in obedience and walking in faith. Fact is, when you look at Scripture, you, you find that, that something happens, something activates the power of God. When an individual, when a person begins to walk in, in faith, in a, in a persistent faith, 
I mean, when you look at Abraham and, and Sarah's life, you realize that what activated the power of God in their life was this issue of, of faith. So we've entitled this, this message dino, and if, if, you're a, if you're a rock climber, you already know the definition of this word. The definition of this word dino simply means that when a climber needs to move from one position to the other, one rock or the other, and they don't know if they can make it or not, they have to have the courage to go ahead and make the jump. They have to make move the courage to move from one rock to the other, not knowing if they can make it or not. In, in, in the Christian life, we'd call that faith, right? I mean, we would call that coming to the place to where you've got to take a step of faith. A climber who is climbing a mountain, if they get to the place and the point where they have to, wait, they have to make a dyno, they, they have to make that jump, and they get paralyzed and they decide not to do it, then they... They no longer make the climb. They no longer activate what they need to activate in their life to make the climb. And as a result of that, they get paralyzed, and they either have to go back down the mountain or someone, unfortunately, has to come and, like, rescue them off the mountain. And if we're not careful as believers, and there's a missing key to our Christianity and it's an issue of faith, then it's possible that we get paralyzed in our faith. And then we get discouraged and we get disillusioned. And all of a sudden, we, we can even get depressed and no longer trust God like we once did. We've been journeying with Abraham and Sarah as they made this climb. And we realized that God made a promise to them that they would have a son. Yet 25 years they're waiting. 25 years and still no children. 25 years had gone by since God had made his promise. He had reaffirmed the promise several different times. And I wonder if with those passing years, did they begin to hear Satan whisper in their ear louder and louder and say, doubt God. He doesn't care about you. God is not going to do for you what he says he's going to do. I wonder if Sarah and Abraham came to the place year after year that, he, that they wondered, did, did we not understand the promise of God did we misunderstand what he promised to do in our life? Did we, did we just miss him? Is, 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 is he going to do this through someone else? Is he going to do this through us? Then last week we learned that God appeared to Abraham and said, this time next year you'll have a son, and he, he renews the promise. And Scripture says that Sarah laughed, that she, she kind of doubted. And then we pick up the story when God had given them a son, Isaac, and we're going to look at some things this morning of testing, but before we do, Let's read these verses together. Here, here's what the scripture says. Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. And then we're just going to go back through these and look at the principles. The scripture says this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. In other words, this is the, the promise received. This is the promise revealed. So three things real quickly when you come to that place, a dino. When you come to that place where you need to step out in faith. And you don't know if you're going to make it, but you have a promise from God. 
There's three things that God does during testing. The first one is this, that it is through testings God's promise was received. You see, Abraham and Sarah were in a 25-year test. And yet in this test, they didn't become discouraged or disillusioned. They didn't bail on God. They consi- it was his persistent faith. They, consented, they, they continued to trust him. And God did exactly what he said. And God did exactly what he promised. And, and here's the interesting thing. In, in verses 1 and 2, three different times God reminds them that, that God keeps his promise. Look at this again with me, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So several several times over the 25 years, God renewed this promise. God renewed this vision. God, God encouraged them. And yet she remained without a child. I think, I think there's some lessons here for all of us, and maybe some of you are going through a period where you have this prayer request. You have this thing that you're, you're asking God for, and, and your prayers have been answered, but they've been answered in a way that maybe you don't like, like the timing is not right, like you need to wait. Like I'm trying to do something in your life and I'm trying to do something in, in their life. And that you, you need to wait. And maybe for you it's, it's a job, it's a position, it's, it's an employment issue. Maybe you're wanting God to do something to your company, your career, a, a supervisor. Maybe it's a job that you would really like to have. Maybe for some of you, you know what, it's been a health issue. It's been something that you're dealing with with, with your health and you've been praying, and you've been praying, and you've been praying. Maybe it's the health of a loved one. And you're continually asking God to intervene and asking God to do something in that situation. Maybe it's a restoration of a, of a relationship. Maybe it's something to do with your marriage. Maybe, maybe there's a deepening that you would like to happen in your, your marriage. Maybe you need to God, God to restore a marriage. Maybe it's a restoration of a friendship. Maybe you've lost a close friend and, and something has happened in that, in that situation. And you're like, God, I, I, I just need you to do something. I need you to do something in, the, in this issue. May, maybe someone has hurt you and, and you, just, you need them to come to the place to where they ask for your forgiveness and, and like get it out on the table and just, just, just talk about it. Maybe, maybe some of you are lonely and you say, you know, I, I, God, I'd just like a friend. I, 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 I would just like a friend. Or, or may, maybe, it's, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe you're praying for a mate or a spouse. Let me ask you, are you looking at this from a, from a human perspective or from a heavenly perspective, you look into this from God's perspective, you look into this from your perspective. See, when you look at Abraham and Sarah, you realize that one of the reasons they were so faithful is they continued to look at this from God's perspective, even though there was some discouragement, even though at times they were disillusioned, even though at times that there were, it seemed like there, there, there were no answers. And when you look at Sarah's circumstances, you realize that it's such a special one. In fact, is it's unique. I mean, natural childbirth to a woman who who had been barren and now is 90 years of age. Max Lucado, and I'll quote him, Max Lucado says this about Sarah. He said, Sarah was the only woman who paid her obstetrician with her social security check. (laughs) I mean, can't you see Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac going down the baby food aisle and between the three of them, not a tooth in their head. I mean, (laughs) 
They're probably buying diapers and depends all at the same time, and they are happy. <laughs> I'll stop right there, okay? And so I, I, I want to remind you that this, this was not because of scientific advancement. It was that enabled Sarah to have this child. It was because God fulfilled a promise. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. And I, I think there's a lot of application for us today that it's a reminder to us that God is faithful. And God is faithful to us, and he keeps his promises to us as well. John Davis said this. He said at times, Abraham did express impatience and anxiety but never to the point of abandoning his commitment to God. In other words, he was never paralyzed in his faith. In other words, when a dino came in his life, he was willing to jump from one rock. He was willing to take a step in his life, not knowing whether he could make it or not. See, that, that's what faith is. Faith is this issue of being able to see from a heavenly perspective and not a human perspective because when when we see things from a human perspective, you know what we do? We make life all about us. We make life all about our issues, our needs, our wants, our desires. And Abraham's experience should teach us that natural law is not a barrier for God to perform a miracle. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. In other words, God is able. God is able even if it means to give a child to a woman who is past childbearing years. God is able even if it means taking a small teenage shepherd boy and with a slingshot taking down a giant that nobody else could. God is able even if it means taking eight individuals who build a boat the size of an NFL football field. God is able to save us even if it means God taking on human appearance and God taking on flesh and God coming to earth, living a perfect and a sinless life and taking on our, our sin and going to the cross so we can have forgiveness and everlasting life so that our citizenship is no longer here but it's, it's in heaven. God promises. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And we see this over the 25 years of Abraham and Sarah's life. And sometimes if we're not careful and we get, we get paralyzed in life, we can feel like from a human perspective, God, you're not answering this prayer. You're not, you're not taking care of this situation quick enough. You must have, have left me. You must have forsaken me. But from a heaven perspective, from a God perspective, we understand that God's timing is perfect and God is working something in our life and he's working something in their life. The second thing that I want you to notice about this issue of testing is this, is that through testing, Abraham was obedient. That through testing, Abraham was, I mean, he, he, was, he was obedient. I mean, there's so many things that I respect about Abraham. That, that he, was, he was obedient in times of need and times of prosperity. One of the things that you see about Abraham is that, that he fulfilled family traditions. He continued, to follow, he continued to follow God. Verse 3, it says, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. 
And Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. In other words, Abraham had this trusting faith. He had this faith of perseverance that it did not allow him to give up. He obeyed God. He obeyed God in, in, when he had little. He obeyed God when he had much. He obeyed God when he was trusting God, fulfilled his promise with Isaac. And then God answers the prayer. God gives him prosperity. God gives him Isaac. And he didn't forget God. He continued to trust God when things were going well, and he continued to trust God when things were not going well. I mean, it's persistence in his life. It's, it's dino. Abraham had this persistent faith, one that allowed him to persevere and one that helped him to keep believing. Because many times you would see it, and we've seen it in the story, that Abraham would pull close to God. He would read Scripture. He would worship continually. And then God would visit him. And, and, and sometimes contemporary Christians, I think we make Christianity about the one big decision. About the one big decision just to follow Christ and be a Christ follower. But when you look at Scripture, you realize it, it's, it's a daily thing. It's not so much the one, the one big decision. That may be the start of it. But it's this, it's this daily walk. In fact, it's Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that the way that we're transformed is by, by the renewing of the mind. And the way we renew our minds is by reading of Scripture and knowing the mind of God and what God wants us to do. But it's also this issue of living your life as, as like a daily sacrifice to where you live your life for not just for yourself, not so much for yourself, but you live your life for, for others. And so really and truly it's like this, it's this daily step. It's putting one step in front of the other. And when Isaac was born... I mean, the promise was received in the form of this, this crying brother, uh, crying, uh, crying baby. And he had a mother that looked more like a great-grandmother than his mom because of what God had done. And as we progress through this story, what we see is this issue. We see this issue of joy. We see this issue that joy is restored. I think so many times in the Christian life, when, 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 when Christians get paralyzed... You lose your joy. When you see life from a human perspective instead of a heaven perspective, you lose your joy. One of the things I think, I think, I think there are a lot of Christians that could amp up their joy just a little bit. Amp up your happiness just a little bit. There are some Christians that look more depressed than the people who do not have God because they begin seeing life from a human perspective. And not a heavenly perspective. I mean, when you look at Abraham and Sarah, you see that, you know what? They went through some tough stuff, but their joy was restored. The years of waiting, 25 years, was like immediately forgotten. I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever had a child, you know. You know what that nine-month waiting period can be like. Pain and excitement all at the same time. As you anticipate the birth of, of the child and and I cannot imagine what it would be like for Abraham and Sarah for 25 years. And God has blessed Karen and I with, with two daughters, Brittany and Amanda. And I was fortunate enough to be able to be in the delivery room for both of their births. And it was just it was an amazing experience, an experience that I, I will never forget. But one thing that I just remember so vividly is that after, after labor and the delivery, how exhausted I was. I'm really serious. Karen had drugs. I went natural. (laughs) 
And I remember the celebration. I remember the joy. I remember the laughter when family and, and, and we celebrated to that. And all of a sudden, the, the waiting and the pain and those memories went away because the joy of that birth and that child kind of took away all that from a man's perspective. <laughs> Maybe the way I can relate to this story the most is through the adoption of our granddaughter, Nessa. We started the journey with Brittany and Corey. Brittany's our oldest daughter, her hu husband, Corey. We had two grandsons, and we started the journey together as a family. And it was a little bit over a year from the start to the adoption. And I remember what it was like when Brittany and Corey told us, and Brittany believed that God was going to give her a, a baby girl, and she, and she believed God gave her a name, which was Nessa, which means perfect lamb of God. And we started that journey out as, as a family. And so we began to go through the process. They went through the legal process. They went through the training. Karen and I, uh, even though we had successfully raised some kids and some grandkids, we had to go through training on how to take care of kids. And, and, uh, and we did that so that we could care for our, our granddaughter while she was still in the foster care system when Brittany and Corey needed us to watch her. And so we got all of our certifications. They got their certifications. And then we waited. We waited. And then finally, the call came. And the call came when Brittany and Amanda and our two grandsons were in Houston, Texas, uh, visiting my mom. And they had to change their flights. They had, they had two hours to get to the airport, and they flew back. And, and I, then, then we, I, I remember going to the hospital. And uh, we got Nessa when Nessa was two or three days old. I can't see your fingers. Two days old. And there was a celebration. And then we started walking through the adoption process together as a family. People would tell us, even though there's a little bit of fear, what if something happens? What if we don't get her? And people would tell us, well, you need to protect your heart. You can't give your heart totally to her because you don't know she's yours till the judge says so. How do you do that? How do you do that? And so we walked through this process, believing a promise and believing God had given us this child. And many times Karen was like a rock in our family, of reminding us of, of the promise that God had made to us, and that God will fulfill exactly what, he's, what he said. And then the day came when we had a court date. It'd be the final court date. There are many court dates through this process, but the final court date. And we gathered at the courthouse in Colorado Springs as a family. And, and I don't know if you've ever been, don't raise your hand if you've like ever been to the courts. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's like not a happy place, right? I mean, usually people are there in trouble or something bad is about ready to go down or something. For us, we saw the courthouse totally different. We remember in the, in the foyer of the courtroom as family and friends are gathering and the pictures and the, the post and everything. That, I mean, there's celebration. And we went into the courtroom and we were so blessed to have a judge that 
was very personable. And he said, as, as you well know, in the rules of a courtroom is if you make any outburst, show any emotion, we'll, we'll, we like kick you out of here. But this is going to be different. This is going to be a celebration. Because a little girl has found a home. So if you want to cheer, celebrate, I want you to do that. I want you to do that. He asked my daughter what was, why she named the child Nessa. She said, part of her testimony means the perfect lamb of God. And I still remember when the judge, like, slammed the gavel down and called her legally, legal name, Nessa Mosteller. You talk about joy restored. You talk about laughter. You talk about celebration. It was in that place. God can turn something that usually there's not much celebration into a celebration. Genesis chapter 21 verse 5 says, And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. And everyone who hears will laugh over me. You see, the only way that we can see sometimes humor in the story, the only way we can see humor in Scripture is, we, is when we come to the place that we don't place ourselves over the Scripture, we place ourselves in the Scripture. We don't place ourselves over the story, in other words. We place ourselves in the story. And see, it's easy for me to see when, when I talk about our journey of, of childbirth, or I talk about our journey of, of adoption, and maybe there's some situations in your life where you've seen joy restored when you realize that all of a sudden there was like this joy, there was like this, 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 this laughter. And so it is important for us to be able to see humor in Scripture over 25 years of waiting for Abraham and Sarah. And God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Remember Genesis chapter 27 when God tells Abram, and he renews the promise that you're going to have a son. And he, he falls down on his face before God and starts laughing and says, Sarah and I at our age will be almost 100 at 90. Are you serious? And I tell you this, there is a laughter of faith. I mean, Abraham is expressing his emotion through joy. He's expressing his emotion through, through, through laughter. He's expressing this because God has renewed his promise. It's, it, it, it renewed him. He realized God's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. That God had not forgotten him. God had not forgotten the promise. Natural laws weren't a barrier, weren't a barrier to him. It's, it's the kind of laughter that we realize that, guess what? God is in control. When we sat in that, that courtroom in Colorado Springs and we're laughing and we're celebrating, you know what's going through my mind? God, you're in control. You're absolutely in, who would have thought this? You're absolutely in control. We may not understand, always understand his methods. We may not always like his timing. We may not always like the circumstances. But we have to trust his infinite wisdom, but there's also this laughter of doubt as well. Sarah at one point had this laughter of doubt. And, and remember when she overheard God tell Abraham that she was going to have a child, remember she, she laughed. And then here's what's interesting to me, and, and I think God did this for a reason. God had them name their son Isaac. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in the Old Testament, people had a name for a reason. A, a name had a, had a meaning, and it reflected their, their character. 
A lot of times in the Old Testament, when God would transform, change somebody's life, he would change their name because they were no longer deceiver. Uh, now they were a, a friend of God. And he would change their name. You know what Isaac means? Isaac means laughter. He laughed. You know what I think? I think God kind of laughed to himself because Scripture says God has emotion. I think God laughed to himself. He said, Abraham and Sarah, you're going to name your son Laughter because I want you to remember you laughed. You laughed from skepticism and you laughed from joy when I did what I said I was going to do. A lot of times we don't see the humor in Scripture, and, you know, it concerns me so many times because Christians, a lot of times, man, we're just so serious. And there's a lot of humor in Scripture. Fact is that we don't understand it but in, in, because we don't understand the culture, but 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, their humor was, was hyperbole, uh, exaggeration. And so when we look at the sermons that Jesus taught, we miss the humor. Je Jesus was hilarious. When Jesus taught some of the most difficult, on some of the most difficult subjects, the hardest sermons, when he pressed in, there was a lot of humor and exaggeration, and we miss it because we don't understand their culture. I learned this in a real way. When I moved to Colorado, we moved to Colorado in 95, and I'm a Texan, and I'm coming to Colorado, and I realized real quickly that Texans laugh at things that you don't think is funny, and you guys laugh at stuff that Texans don't think is funny. We're two different cultures, right? I mean, for instance, I, I know I've told you this, but a, a, a bumper sticker that I, that I saw a few years back, it, it simply read, if you're from California, go back and take two Texans with you. See, I don't think that's funny at all. In fact, is it kind of makes me mad. Why would they lump Texans with people from California? And now the people from California are like, what are you doing? Why, why don't you want to be with us? And so so it's, this issue of, it's this issue of culture. I mean, look at this. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Laughter can ease tension. Laughter can relieve tension. I mean, it's so important that we come to this place and, we, and we're able to have joy. And we're able to have joy in difficult circumstances, dark circumstances, because we understand from a heavenly perspective that this is not our home. We're temporary. We're just we're, we're passing through. And because of that, we can trust him. The third and the last thing is this, is through testing. Hope was rekindled for the future. Through testing. Hope was rekindled for the future. You might be thinking, what is the big deal about changing Abraham's, Abram's name to Abraham? Remember that the scripture says, the prophecies say that the Messiah was come through the, the lineage of Abraham through David. So it has a lot of meaning. Genesis chapter 17 verse 5 says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of multitude of nations. Now when, when God told Abraham this, Abraham, Abraham had no children. He's still waiting. This is before he ever had children, so I think it's the humor of God. You know what we're going to do? We're going to change your name the father of many nations. Can you imagine what it was like for Abraham when he went to church on Sunday? 
when he was in the community and someone said, hey, what's your name, Father of Many Nations? Whoa, how many kids do you have? None. Really? Who gave you that name? God. Verse 6 goes on and says, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you into nations and the kings shall come from you. When Isaac was born, their hope for the future was rekindled. And even though they could not see the multitudes that would come, they once again had confident hope that God would do what he said he would do. God would keep his promises. Hebrews 11.1, kind of our definition of dino. Now faith is assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. We don't, the missing key. Being able to see things from a human perspective. For us, the adoption of Nessa. Not only was hope rekindled that God knows us, he's going to do exactly what he said he would do. It would help our family for challenges that we'd face in the future. Because we could point back to a time. God did something that he said he would do. God is faithful. And we know that. Because of this, and because of this, and because of this in our past. When a supervisor or a boss comes into your office or sends you an email and say they're going to do away with your positions, they're going to transition you out, what keeps you hanging on? When telephone rings in the middle of the night, and you answer it, and someone's on the other end of the line. They say, you need to get to the emergency room as soon as possible. There's been an accident. What do you cling to? Someone looks you in the eyes and says, I'm just so sorry. I don't think I love you anymore. I think I've, I've fallen out of love with you. And I no longer want to be married to you. I no longer want to live with you. To whom do you turn? When a test report comes back bad from the doctor, how do you continue to have hope? When a family member or loved one looks you in the eyes and says, I, I have a terminal illness. Now, I don't know how much longer I have. Where do you find hope? Where do you find joy? Telling you. It is this ability to be able to see things from God's perspective and not an earthly perspective and not a a human perspective. A Christian does not see a hopeless end. He He or she sees an endless hope. We understand that this is not my world. This is not my home. And I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of another world. And we must remember that one day God promises to correct every hurt, 
correct every wrong? Will there be a place of no more hurt, no more pain, no more tears, no more illness, no more loss? That he has promised that one day he's going to take care of every pain and every heartache. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Do you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?